Full speed ahead, Barcelona. Welcome to The Promised Land, a show about Manchester United. And part of the 90 Min Podcast Network, I'm Scott Saunders, joined by Rob Blanchett as ever, as Man United embark on a trip to Barcelona's Camp Nou uh, in the Europa League qualifying round. <laughs> Which is just a, it's a little bit weird to say, isn't it, Rob? But Thursday at 5.45 UK time for a blockbuster of two of Europe's biggest clubs in a qualifying round for the Europa League last 16. Doesn't sound right, does it? No, it doesn't. And it doesn't sound right that we're off to the Spotify camp, New Eva. Like, I know the fans will be streaming their way down to the stadium to support United. But yeah, a bit odd, isn't it? Like, it, it's, it's kind of nice that we're playing Barcelona because it's a glamour tie and two glamour clubs. And we are one of those, of course. It does feel a little bit weird, doesn't it, in the middle of a Premier League season where you're kind of fighting to regain your identity, but we're comfortable in the Premier League, so maybe we should try and enjoy the Europa League this season. I say full speed ahead, Barcelona, if you're of a certain age and you followed the trip to the Champions League, one in Barcelona in 1999, Clive Tildesley uttered full speed ahead, Barcelona, when it was Andy Cole, wasn't it, who tapped it in in Turin. Uh, yeah, full speed ahead, Barcelona. The promised land is from the final for more Clive Tilsley commentary. So I felt like I had to open the show with that today. Uh, ingrained into my brain. I'm sure it is, Rob, with you as well. Uh, of course. Let us know. If, if, if you're not familiar with that, uh, let us know. I think commentary goes a long way to kind of making memories special. And I think uh, that's one of those lines. So we're going back to Barcelona, Spotify campus. I forgot it was called the Spotify camp. <laughs> so weird. Football's changed so much in the last yeah. 25 years, hasn't it? But um, yeah. yeah, we'll talk Barcelona today because that is happening on Thursday. Uh, two legs, the second leg at Old Trafford next week before the Carabao Cup final against Newcastle at Wembley. Busy time for United because they play Barcelona and inform Leicester at Old Trafford on Saturday. Barcelona again, and then the Newcastle game, obviously. I think Liverpool are on the horizon as well soon after that. So, interesting uh, few weeks ahead. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll talk about that today. We'll talk about Casemiro and Rafa Varane going back to Spain. We'll talk about how Man United manage their team with the absentees they have. Seven, we count, unless something changes uh, miraculously with injuries uh, to some of the players, but a couple of suspensions in there as well. Uh, and we'll talk ownership as well towards the end of the show. Elon Musk is the latest name uh, linked with United. Also seems pretty solid that a bid from Qatar is going to come in for the club. The owner, oh, the deadline, I think, for... Is it declarations of interest, Rob, or bids? Because I think it's it's pretty much... we are. Is, is it intention to bid on Friday? Because it's a soft deadline, isn't it? But, you know. When they say it's a soft deadline, it's for bids. And supposedly the criteria is any bidder has to put in a one-paragraph bid right, yeah. to the to the rain group to, to talk of their interest and what they want to pay for it. What, what, what is this? Some kind of reality TV show? I've never heard of that. I want to win. A, uh, I want to buy a multi-billion-pound business, and the way we do it is with a one-paragraph bid. Oh, I really like Man United. I've got loads of money. What? Like, it's mad, isn't it? So this is what they're pumping into the media and saying this is how it is. I'm not quite sure really if it is. I think you have to do some proper due diligence if you're putting a bid forward. But yes, Qatar look like they will put a bid forward. Elon Musk is the latest name who's considering it. 
We know, obviously, that uh, Ineos are very interested. I think there will be two or three extra bidders that we've not heard about just yet that we're hearing under the surface that will come forward. But, of course, we'll talk about all of that in weeks ahead with The Promised Land. Yes, indeed. Uh, Subscribe to The Promised Land wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, all of those audio platforms. And you can follow us and watch us twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays usually. This is why we do Tuesdays and Fridays, because we do... You know, we're anticipating the Europa League run, you know. If you like to go deep into this competition, they'll play on Thursday nights. And there's a nice gap between playing on a Sunday, recording on a Tuesday, and then previewing for the next game. So this is why we do Tuesdays and Fridays. If we get back in the Champions League next season, maybe we'll change. But uh, head over to the YouTube channel, like, subscribe, join the community, leave a comment for us as well. And on Twitter, at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B. At Promise Land MU for the show as well. We'll start. We'll start today with some comments, Rob, from the last show because we had a good few interactions. Some which, in hindsight, are quite funny. Now, T eight hundred said, "I can't stand the thoughts of Fred in midfield again tomorrow. He is absolutely useless." Uh, which probably was the case for a long time, but he ended up breaking the record for tackles uh, in a Premier League match, like which stood for about three years. So, he, and he got man of the match award. So. Um, Funny how this works, isn't it? I think we said the other day that Fred is either amazing or absolutely outstanding. I think we had that him being amazing or absolutely outstanding. No, that amazing or absolutely crap is what I meant to say. <laughs> and I think we had absolutely crap. The technical the term, Scott. The technical term, absolutely crap. But he was amazing for the final 30 minutes, especially against Leeds in the win at Ellen Road at the weekend. Um, another good show, as always, says Meha. Uh, what are your thoughts on Silent Jao Polina as cover for Casemiro? Be a good squad addition. Yeah, I'd like that. I, th- I, th- I don't Should know. Have if done he'd, it last year. I don't know if he'd be cover. Like I think he'd, he'd squeeze him in the team somewhere because he's a kind of player that can do lots of different things. Um, maybe he would be a kind of like he'd cost us a lot of money, obviously, but. He would still be a budget version of stuff of players that you, that you could go and get, couldn't he? Like you think about the whole Ruben Neves links over times and and whatnot. I like him. I think he's really good, and, and I think he was an incredible pickup from Fulham. And he was even then. At, what was it? What did he go for? Fifteen million or something like that. Like that. We, when we were doing our kind of midfield shows and looking at, at, at kind of left field signings, he was definitely one that that we were thinking. Well, yeah, he could give you value, and he's kind of a sleeper hit. People didn't really know a lot about him. Now they do. So, yeah, go for it. Like Especially if you do need someone who can play the number six to a good standard, then, yeah, put him in. Because I don't think Sabitz is a number six. We've seen that in the last few games, haven't we? Fred McTominay, definitely not number sixes. So you probably would like a player like that. On Casemiro, uh, a couple of comments in as well about missing <coughs> Casemiro so bad against Leeds in the first game. Uh, and that game showed the importance of Casemiro again. Our win rate without him is very bad. United struggled again without him at the weekend, but he mm. is back, and that's why I wanted to look at the comments because I saw a lot of love for Casemiro. But he is back for this game. Uh, he'd be suspended for the Leicester game, his final game of his ban. Hopefully United can come through that with another three points and thrust themselves right into the title race picture. Um, <laughs> but Casemiro is back for this game. Uh, Rafa Varane will likely return as well after playing Harry Maguire alongside Luke Shaw at Leeds. Maguire was, it was a mixed bag for him, <laughs> I think. But Casemiro and Varane uh, coming in pretty much well rested. I think squad management's got to got to be a thing when you're playing every three days. Uh, and it looks to me, 
because we there's a number of absentees that the midfield three is going to be Casemiro, Fred, and Bruno Fernandez. So, uh, how did you want to title this show, Rob? The tank is back or something? The tank is back. So why why are we calling him the tank? Well, Marcel christened um, uh, Casemiro as the tank during his Real Madrid days of being the kind of hub in the midfield of this team that just won Champions League after Champions League after Champions League. So he's always had that credibility, I think, also from the Spanish media. They understand what Casemiro is and was, especially to that Real Madrid team. Whereas I think he's kind of the wider adulation for him wasn't really there. Certainly when you compare him, say, to other Real Madrid players in that midfield, like the, the likes of Modric's and Kroos and players like that who who always had their fan bases you know, around the world of that kind of player. We're seeing, we with Casemiro, how important he is to Man United in such a short space of time. It was only really a few months ago we were doing shows about, is this going to be a £60 million bust? Is he actually going to be fit enough? Is he going to be have the engine? Well, the bloke is a tank. We know that now. So that's why I wanted to put the tankers back because I think Man United have been missing that artillery in the middle of their midfield. It's, it's crystal clear. There's no need to kind of do deep shows about that stuff. But it's really important that if you're going to win anything, that Casemiro is the boss of that midfield because we see how depleted United look in the middle of the park with ball movement, ball retention, all of that stuff when you're relying on Fred and Bruno and to an extent Sabitzer. Sabitzer, of course, suspended for this game because he had three yellow cards in the Champions League. So he won't be playing against Barcelona in this match. Um, and that gives you a problem, doesn't it? Because it means that you are a little bit thinner on the ground and you've got to make maybe decisions that you don't want to make. Yes, indeed. Uh, we'll see what Eric Ten Hag goes with. I think the midfield options are the most limited ones, but there's a number of other injuries as well. You've got... Uh... Van der Beek, Eriksen, Anthony, hmm. Anthony Martial and Scott McTominay, who are all likely to miss and, unless Ten Hag gives a, a positive update on any of them in his press conference before the game on Wednesday. Uh, but I think he said at the end of last week that it was unlikely that any, any of them would be back. Also, Lisandro Martinez is suspended as well. So we're looking at a Varane, Luke Shaw, uh, centre-back period, Malassia, and then Dallow or Wan-Bissaka at right back, the midfield hmm. three, as we mentioned. And then whatever options up front. I mean, yeah. Marcus Rashford's one of the form players in Europe at the moment. So this is going to be another one of his games where he can really hammer home the reputation he's building for himself. Definitely. And I think also we, we should also talk about the Luke Shaw thing there. You just kind of mentioned it because I think that this becomes an enforced thing now because no Martinez in the team. What does this manager want to do with left-sided centre-back? Because he has obviously got Maguire, has got Lindelof, and he's just not going to use them there, is he? Which means they'll start now, I've said that. But Luke Shaw, when you take him out a left-back, what do you think, Scott? I think Man United are a much worse football team when Luke mm -hmm. Shaw isn't at left-back. And it's so crystal clear. Like Again, you don't progress the ball, you don't push the ball. No offence to Malassia. Like, he's, a, he's a good lad, he's a good young player. He, he, he could become a top fullback in in the years ahead he's not there at the moment is he Luke Shaw on the other hand is really showing I think what a world-class player he is I'm going to call him that I know a lot of people don't believe that but I really think he, he can play him almost anywhere at the moment centre back left back he just helps you so much getting up the pitch but also doing the defensive function I thought he was good defensively the other day at centre back but I don't really want to see him there being honest I think that he has so much value value as a fullback that if you're going to play Barcelona, you want that whip, don't you? I think so. But I think 
something Ten Hag's made blatantly obvious is the fact that he likes left-footed centre-backs. <laughs> left centre-backs. All Dutch managers do. Every yeah. Dutch manager insists on it. And I get that. And it probably means you have to go and buy a left-sided centre-back in the future to make that work. But Luke Shaw can do the job. But then what do you do at left-back? That's just the problem. The, I think the full-back positions now are the most... You know, the, the most important in in world football because they get you cut going backwards and forwards. They're the ones that control that. They're your wingers. Luke Shaw, I thought when he switched to left side there uh, um, against Leeds, that was that was the big part of the change in the match, wasn't it? In the last twenty or thirty minutes, is that Luke Shaw got there, helped Garnacho, and United had some penetration on the left side. What do you think he'll do with? Uh, I'm, I'm guessing like you and I think Luke Shaw is going to start, and he'll go with Malassia. Mm. Just because, you know, he's, he played in there the other day. It's probably just a, a dry run for, you know, a big test against the likes of uh, Robert Lewandowski. Mm. Um, <laughs> what does that say about Maguire and uh, Victor Lindelof, though? It says a lot, doesn't it? So, like, I, I'm I'm happier just taking my, you know, journo hat off and putting football fan hat on. I'm happier having Shaw next to Varane with Casemiro. All right with that. I think that's that's all right. That's the you know the the hub of your team. That's the spine, and and that's good. I'm all right with that. I'm not as happy <laughs> with Luke Shaw, who's kind of auxiliary centre back, kind of dr- drifted inside, because then next to Maguire or next to Lindelof, who are both slow, and that's a problem. And then Malassia, who's inexperienced, and then on the opposite side, Delo who's still working his way back to form and looks off the boil so far. So you know what? I actually prefer wan in the position at the moment. I've done shows for <laughs> two or three weeks saying, for me, wan is the starter. Why is wan the starter? He's not as good as Delo on the front foot. I get that. Delo got the assist in the Old Trafford um, in his first game back. Fantastic. Defensively, Delo looks like he's regressed several months because he's working through this injury and the issues that he had. So for me, yeah, you've got wan now. I think he's the starter for me. It's so weird how it works. It's so weird. And this is why in football, you do have to sometimes say, let's wait and see. Like I know football fans hate that because everyone wants an opinion. But but has proven everyone wrong and all, all power to him. Do you know what I mean? Because he's proving it with this manager. So like, you know, Luke Shaw playing centre-back is again something six months ago we'd have all scoffed at, wouldn't we? We'd go... Why? Luke Shaw, centre-back? No. He can do the job really well, but I just don't really want to see him there when it affects your left side so so profoundly. So I think that we will obviously Varane see come back in. I think Luke Shaw is an obvious pick there on that left side. Just talking about Maguire and Lindelof. You know, Maguire had good moments, didn't he, in the second game against Leeds? But he also had so many moments where I just wanted to kind of cry into my hands <laughs> because... I watch it, and 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 none of us can make us run him run quicker or react quicker. It, it, yeah, he's England's Harry Maguire. He's the captain of the football club. Uh, just sell him. Like we're going to end up selling him eventually. That's just the way it goes. I don't think he's ever going to be a starter in this team. But that that kind of leaves you open, doesn't it? Like he had good moments against Leeds, but you know, would I would I feel great about him up against Lewandowski in the middle? No. Not at all. So I don't think we will see that. I'm happy with Varane against Lewandowski and maybe Luke Shaw covering for pace. Um, shame we haven't got Martinez because I think this is the kind of game he would really love. Like he'd just yeah. be, he'd be sure. well into this me versus Lewandowski thing, wouldn't he? He'd be like, right, I'm going to smash you into row Z of the new camp. And I'm telling you, I've been in that stadium. Row Z's a long way. You know what I mean? It's oh, yeah. Like, it's, it's very, very high up. You need very to almost high. get 
you almost need to get a kind of diverted bus trip all the way up to the top of the stadium because it's a long way to go up there. But uh, I still think United can put out a really competitive team. It's going to be a fascinating game because we're in a certain stage of our rebuild, aren't we? This is where we are. We're the we're the kind of antagonists of the Premier League, aren't we? No one thinks we're in a title race. We don't. You don't. Great. But we kind of are five points behind Arsenal as we're speaking. You know, you know the best team in the league. Uh, and here we are going into this European game against the team that are top of La Liga and are in the middle of their rebuild. So lots of storylines to kind of talk through. It's an exciting match. If you watch a lot of La Liga and want to leave us a comment on how good Barcelona are, then uh, feel free to do so. <clears throat> I am no longer, and I never was an expert on La Liga, but I'm, I feel like I know less about it nowadays than I did a few <laughs> years ago. Um, they're 11 points clear of Real Madrid. They're in a rebuild, as you mentioned. They have Xavi as manager. Things are going well. Mm-hmm. They have some generational potential generational talents, Gavi, Pedri, uh, Ronald Araujo at centre-back is uh, a unit, very good. They've got a good core. They've also got Frankie in there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how, uh, well, he's rocking up to Old Trafford next week. Uh, that'll be interesting. But what what's a good what's a good outcome here? Because I think we said when this draw happened that, if you're not going to go out to Barcelona, then that's fine because they have fewer games to play and they can concentrate on other competitions. The League Cup will be gone by the end of the month in the FA Cup. And then you have some midweeks to potentially rest up because United have played more games in the league than anybody else at the moment. But if they win, it's a massive shot in the arm, isn't it? So is this is this win-win? <laughs> Yeah, or no lose, no lose. I don't. Yeah. Th- I think it's kind of when you look at it, it's uh, what would be a good result over two legs. Well, one nil on aggregate, that would be a great. Just result. Don't lose six nil. I think that's, Just, that's yeah. Don't don't lose six nil. You know, no one wants to lose six nil, do they? But I do also think that kind of there is a wider picture. So obviously, you want to advance. I get that. But as you've just kind of put it there, if you go to the League Cup final, say you win that, so you've got a trophy in your bag, that's going to be a tough game anyway against Newcastle. But I think when you look at this, that the Europa League really is an additional thing to your wider objectives this year. Like I still think, even though top four is not a trophy, this year, top four is essential to Man United. You've got to be in the Champions League next year just for your rebuild, just for bringing in players, just to show Ten Hag has put that progress into the team. The Europa League doesn't really show that for me. Like, look at all the teams that have won the Europa League over time. We're one of them. You know, not particularly that great a team. We won the Europa League. But, you know, we lost to Villarreal as well. Also not that good a team. So the Europa League's not always a good barometer of how good a side is. You know what I mean? It's just it's just like a... It is a very nice trophy, though. It, it's a nice trophy, a, a lovely big vase that you can put on the side there and put stuff in. Lovely, great trophy. But, yeah, the best trophies are those big two, the one with the big ears. And of course, the Premier League. So uh, I don't know. I think um, I think for this match, it's more a case of just pitting against the two teams in their projects of where they are today. Because we feel good about Man United, don't we? But even if you lose this game, I don't think that takes any of the gloss off. Not really, because Barcelona are doing well in La Liga. You just said there, do people watch it? La Liga is still very popular. It's just not the competition that it was back in the Galactico days. Like, it just isn't. It's a different kind of competition. It's not as good. 
But you, I think you've got, still got to give Barcelona credit. You know, they've, they've done well under Xavi, or as I like to call him, the poor man's poor, poor skulls. Um, and he he's showing that at least he's got leadership qualities because I think there was a big question mark over him when he took over the football club. It's kind of a little bit like Solskjaer, isn't it, taking over at United? It's like, can he do this job? Well, eventually that might be no. But at the moment, they're doing okay. And I always think the Lewandowski thing is always an interesting narrative because is he the best number nine in the world now remaining with Ronaldo now on his permanent holiday in the Middle East? I would probably say he's up there. Um, Haaland, of course, as well. But Lewandowski maybe the traditional number nine out there who, who's going to try and score the goals to beat Man United. Interesting. I really don't know what to expect. and It's, it's kind of nice. Actually, kind of yeah. going into a game where you kind of just get a measure, of, and that's that's how I've approached a lot of games this season. I think when I when we were going into the game against Arsenal a few weeks ago at the Emirates, I didn't really expect to win, but at the same time, I thought this would be a nice measure of the progress. We learned that Casemiro is a massive miss. Mm-hmm. Uh, be great to he'll play tomorrow or on Thursday. It'd be great to have him in there. A good test of how Man United, how far Man United have progressed so far, and obviously, if it can get a draw, I think the 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 favourites tag swings in United's favour in the return. But we'll see. I think we can beat them at the new Camp. I really, really they do. Haven't, haven't lost at the new Camp this season, apparently. Well, this this is it, and and I think again, in just in this scenario, the pressure is on Barcelona because they're top of they're top of the Spanish league. We're not top of the English league. They're the team that have got a Lewandowski at number nine. We debate every week about what Man United need to do with the striker. But I do think pound for pound across the team, United are probably as good as Barcelona. Like, like they are. So I, I don't feel any kind of fear going into this. And, and I don't think any Man United fan should. But I also think that kind of, you, you gotta, if you look within, you can go to New Camp and just think, well, do you know what? We're really good at counter-pressing. We're really good at playing on transition. Marcus Rashford is the best player in the world at the moment, bar none. Can you go and hurt them if you say to Casemiro, get in there and destroy their midfield? I do believe Busquets isn't playing. Yeah, I think he's, he's out. And, I, and I, he's obviously a sliding scale of importance to Barcelona now as he's got older. Obviously, you know, they, they will move away from him. But of course, Frankie de Jong will be there. Frankie could turn up at Old Trafford. Uh, in the, in the second leg. They like him now as well. He's playing a lot oh, and he's playing really well. They like him. They like him. They still just don't like paying him. So, you know, all of these things continue, don't they, with Barcelona? So that's another part of this is that, you know, can you see in this game that, say, a Frankie de Jong in midfield is the difference, then it, it shows with your project what you need to do next summer, not necessarily by, by de Jong, but by a midfielder. We've talked to her about Palinho. But, you, you know, there's so many really good Midfielders there can do the six-eight function that would help Casemiro in the years ahead. Of course, you're missing Eriksen as well. I think we all agree Man United can't pass the ball nearly as well without Christian Eriksen in the team. So that's a big loss. But let's see what Frankie does because I think he'll be quite keen to show not Man United fans, but to actually show why he stayed at Barcelona and why Man United missed a trick by not completing that deal. Because let's be honest, Scott, they'd put some more readies on the table. They might have got. De Jong done. They might have done. They just didn't want to go higher than that price tag that they had for him. And Barcelona, of course, spent the whole period of that just trying to just trying to con everyone, didn't they? Just like, oh yeah, he's he's worth this much. We don't want to we don't want to sell him. Do you want to buy Frankie De Jong to literally the whole of Europe? So let's see how that one goes. 
Yes, indeed. Uh, opti- some, some optimism. Some optimism. Just checking. They- Absolutely. Oh, Araujo is also suspended by the looks of it. There we go. Or No, that's a La Liga suspension, unfortunately. So I think he'll be playing. I'm just trying to... That Marcus Rashford uh, left side versus... I know mm. Barcelona have been trying to sign a right back for a while. Uh, there's potential joy there, isn't there? Yeah, like I, I, I get the debate now. Well, Jules, about... Jules Kunde plays there, but obviously, yeah. I, th- I, is he available still as well, Kunde? I don't know. I think they're... Mm-hmm. so he'll play. So let's see what happens. But I think the whole thing with Marcus is again, we don't worry about the opponents who he's playing. You just worry about Marcus. Just say to Marcus, go do your thing. So. Uh, I've done, again, plenty of shows about whether you play Rashford as the nine or whether you play him wide. I still think that even when everyone is available or whatnot, Rashford still has that incredible ability to almost be a number nine from the left. That's a good Mm -hmm. thing. Because Man United are kind of missing that, aren't they? I don't think you need him through the middle. I do also think there is a logic that as you try and find a place for Jadon Sancho in the team that there might be a case where, where Marcus goes into the middle to facilitate that so you can get more talent on the pitch. But I don't think that's kind of the start starting here. I don't know if Sancho will start in this kind of game. You might give him an hour to kind of get minutes. Who starts it. on the right then? For me, I think it's really, really simple. And I think it's Bruno Fernandes. Because I, I, I think that when, when you look at the number 10 or you look at the, the midfield... Who, who plays 10 then? The, the issue still be, well, 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 who plays 10? For 20 minutes against Leeds, our number 10 was Big Val. Big Val did really well at 10. So it's not, It's I don't like it. I know you probably don't like it. And fans are like, ooh, will Ten Hag like it? I think he probably will because what uh, Veghorst showed in, those, in that very short spell there is that if you want to give, say, more balance to your wide areas and you need Bruno to go to the right-hand side and you need Bruno not to lose the ball in midfield and you need him in an area where you can hurt opponents more, then you probably go to Bruno on the right. You probably then go Marcus up top or Martial, but who knows what's going on with Martial. Do you know what I mean? He's injured every three days. And then, of course, then you bring a Sancho on the left, don't you? So that's your kind of option. Uh, I think the thing is with Eggers with is that, that at number nine, he's... Metrics or scoring goals are not, is not particularly great for us so far. So if you want to put Marcus up there, then who do you play the 10? Does it have to be Bruno when your right side is is weak? So what do you do with that, Scott? That's the question, I think. It's, a, it's all about these moving pieces, isn't it? About how you put an, an 11 out there that is your strongest. I kind of think Ten Hag will think like that. I think he'll go Bruno right because he'll want to keep the press there. And someone like Val, who, who did really well for 25 minutes, like, all the pressing work from 10, good on the ball, helped other players to come into the game, let Marcus run off him. It worked. You beat Leeds in that 25-minute spell, didn't you? Whereas the hour before that, I thought Leeds might win that game. So let's see. It is a bit of a roll of the dice, but I think the injuries and the suspensions and what whatever you've got going on means that you might try that. I'm sure Eric Ten Hag will have a plan. He always talks about What do you think about Vegas at 10? Come on, I know need, you're the host. Needs must. I would, I would very much prefer not to see it, uh, but needs must. You know, Needs must. And, and I do think Bruno looks better I don't think he'll right. start with it, by the way. I don't think he'll start with it. Bruno looks better on the right to me. And just Every time he goes to the right, he looks more assured. Every time he's in the middle, he runs around, does back heels and gives it away. So it's kind of like there's a, there is a balancing act there. That's not a pop at Bruno Fernandes, of course, but it is a pop at Bruno. But, you know, you need, I think, I, I think you need some more control in the wide areas. That's really important. That's why I'm so obsessed with Luke Shaw playing left back. 
because I think you need you need that penetration going up there. I think Bruno's not a winger, but Bruno's smart on the front foot in the final third, and I think he can give you press, control, and give you a, a final ball from that side of the pitch. I don't think he fancies Jaden Sancho on the right. I don't know what you think. No, I don't think, I think so he likes Jaden left sided inverting, but I still think Marcus is the prime starter on the left because he's just so good. Best player in the world. <laughs> right. United play Barcelona at 5.45 UK time. Ugh. Thursday. Uh, the return leg, at least, should... I, I think it should be in the the later bracket at Old yeah. Trafford next week under the lights, etc., etc. Uh, yes, so we'll see what happens. We'll be back on Friday to record another show in the aftermath of that, but we'll end today's show with a bit of ownership chat. Mm. Uh, now, the ownership deadline for bids or for submissions is Friday. Uh, it seems very much as though there will be a bid coming in from people in Qatar. Elon Musk's name has been linked uh, with a potential takeover. I don't know how much credence there is to that. We've seen suggestions, as we, we reported on 90 Min in November, that David Beckham would be approached to uh, potentially front up some bids. And that was confirmed that it had happened yesterday, but he's, he turned some down. And as yet, there is no David Beckham fronting these bids as yet. Mm -hmm. uh, and as you mentioned, Rob, there's probably other parties that we don't know about yet mm -hmm. that could enter the mix. Um, just going back to the comments from uh, the last show, because Rob, you said, you said your bit on Qatar. Uh, Matt saying, have to agree with Rob on Qatari ownership. I want the club to grow and win in the traditional way that we've done in the past. Yes, we have money, but much of it was earned by the brand and by victories. I don't simply want to splash money around for players. I love Ten Hag in the direction the club's going. I hope we can get some reliable and legally clean owners. I don't know. Is there anyone <laughs> who's going to be able to offer that? Uh, it's, it, we're in a difficult position. Uh, Connie Ever After also commented and said, it means a lot to hear you mention that, Rob. Uh, it's hard even going to games as a trans person. I've had to stop coaching, and I don't blame anyone for getting excited about the future, but it's hard to hear fans celebrate people who would have me arrested at the least. Of course, we want success. Of course, it would be nice to see us supporting them in the same, uh, in the same way Pep has been, but let's not sell our soul. Uh, and then there's suggestions as well of not caring about with what the ownership is as long as there's money, as long as the debt is cleared. Mm. Jim Ratcliffe is in the mix, but we've seen suggestions that I think the, the debt that United have, Arunda will be transferred to Ineos or something along those lines. So, is there a can we win, Rob? <laughs> um, no, I don't think we can. I, I, look, I totally agree. I think all billionaires have some kind of dirt on their hands, of course. Like, and we've said that haven't we, in the past when we talked about Jim Radcliffe, we talked about Ineos and and environmental policies and whatnot. Like that, all of that stuff is important. But there is a big difference between being state-owned and privately owned. And that's kind of where, where I draw the line. And that's why I talk about it in the way that I do. Um, I, I still can't get over the fact, you know, when we talk about potential Middle East ownership, that this is not about people from the Middle East. This is not about the race, the creed, or any of those things. This is about potential owners who back legal policies in their own country to oppress gay people to oppress women, to oppress all sorts of sections of society through the name of religion or whatnot. Yeah, that's what happens. I just don't want to spend the rest of my career, Scott, 
talking about Qatar and all of that. Like, look at the World Cup. We had this, you know, going into the World Cup. We had to speak about these things all the time. We are football journalists. We want to talk about football. But unfortunately, when political entities buy you, it then becomes about politics. So it's a different conversation. You just said there from one of the comments there, as I said, at Old Trafford, I stand next to all sorts of people, you know, gay people, trans people, women, all across the board. What do you say to all those season ticket holders that supported Man United their whole life and then have owners that oppress them? It's difficult, really, really difficult. So I'm not against Qataris, not at all, but I am against regimes. So I, I think this is the whole thing now. Let's see what happens because... I think we're going to learn a lot more about this Qatari bid and about who the people are, the investors, you know, the private investors that now are coming with the caveat at the end of private investors linked to the Qatari royal family. So that bit is now coming out. Whereas I think when the story broke and we spoke about it, members of the press didn't want to put that last bit in there because the story was all blue skies about, let's say that they're going to be taken over by private investors from the Middle East. Great. Well, let's learn a little bit more. That's what all I'm saying now. Let's see who the next owners could be. Elon Musk talking about him. I've just said the Spotify new camp. What do you think about the Twitter old Trafford? You know, Hes- like- Hesler Trafford. Or something. <laughs> oh, yeah, that could be it, isn't it? You know, OTT, Old Trafford Tesla or something like that. It's just you can see all the branding already. Um Oh, I don't know. Like, I don't know how I feel about Elon Musk either because the of the boring. Think... Is it the boring company that he has? The boring something, boring company stadium. Yeah. Well, look, if you look uh, at Elon Musk as well. Elon Musk owns Twitter, bought it for forty-four billion, but actually, the second biggest investor in Twitter now because of Elon Musk is Saudi Arabia. So, like again, there's all these things kind of all all mix in. Like I know we kind of get all uh, uppity about it and about who owns what and one thing or another. And should it be owned by the West or owned by the East? I don't care for that debate. I'm not really interested in that, whether the owner's American, South African, English, Qatari. That's not the debate. It's about whether Man United are going to get pinned to this regime. And I think they will be, Scott, especially the way that, that people look at Man United anyway. I did have a few tweets come back at me saying, oh, why should Man United have to justify this ownership? Well, you don't have to justify it. But do you think the press will make you justify it? Do you think that football fans will make you justify it? Do you think the wider community in this country will make you justify it? We will be the poster boys of these regimes if these regimes take over us. That's just the truth. Um, I I think it's almost unavoidable. Like, I, yeah, I think they've that's, got the money. That's what we are. They've got the money. They've got the power. Fans don't, and supposedly the you know the the sport of the people. The people don't really get a choice, do they? We don't get a choice. Football fans don't get a choice. I do think the Qataris are favourites to take over. I think they probably will take over, and then it's we'll kind of dig into it even more. Then when we actually know who's got their name above the door, like we're seeing this at Man City, aren't we? Private investors own Man City. No, they don't. Or do they? We don't really know, do we? So I don't want Man United to become ambiguous like that. I don't want us well, to Pep become... Pep said it was Abu Dhabi the other day, didn't he? Pep said it was Abu Dhabi, and I said that was a kind of slip of the tongue. But of course, it's not a slip of the tongue, because it's probably true. It's what we know already. And Abu Dhabi is a, as, as a political entity, own Man City. But on the books and writing the checks, it's not Abu Dhabi, supposedly. Is that going to be like that for Man United? Qatari investor... But it's actually the royal family. I don't know. We won't get a choice in it. But ultimately, I don't want to spend the next 10 years of my career talking about LGBTQ rights in a country far, far away that we can't impact. But we have to talk about it. 
because they run our football club and they sign the checks for all of our footballers. That's a difficult scenario. What did we have yesterday, Scott, with a, a footballer coming out publicly, yeah? And how momentous that moment is to show that, that we may be at that crossroads where a footballer feels he can do that. There are hundreds of other footballers who still think that they can't do that because they will be oppressed. Footballers at the World Cup this year who couldn't say that they were gay because they were in a country where they would be arrested for it. That's difficult, isn't it? What about if there's a Man United footballer? What if one of our top players is gay, Scott? And now you're being bought by the Qataris who do not condone it and won't let you kind of be that outward. That's a problem, isn't it, politically? And that's a problem for the football club. Yes, indeed. We, As you say there, Rob, we will know more uh, in the weeks ahead, especially yeah. Friday. I think most most of this will become public knowledge over the next few weeks. And the timeline is there. I think it could be that by the end of the season, we could ownership could change hands completely. Can I just yeah? Can I just add one more thing about Jim Ratcliffe? Because yeah. a lot of people are like, "Oh, your boy Jim, your boy Jim, you love Jim." It's like, well, no, I don't love Jim Ratcliffe at all. You know, I'm not into like chemical companies, definitely not. Um, but I do think with the whole thing with Jim Ratcliffe is that Jim Ratcliffe is not a state. That's the first thing, and people have, people have been tweeting me just do not get that. They're like, "Oh, Jim's probably got dirt in his hands." Yeah, I do think he probably has, but he's not a state. Someone said, oh, he's a Tory party donor, Rob. Like, you won't like that. I'm like, well, no, I probably wouldn't like that. But he's not the Tory party. Like, he's not He's not the government of the UK, is he? So I wouldn't advocate any government ownership. This is my kind of standpoint on it, just personally. Um, and that's how I kind of feel about the Middle East as well, because I do think that these sports washing projects, these owners have wider mandates than football. And that's a problem to me. I do think that when they buy a footballer, are they buying it to win a football match? Or are they buying it to show how powerful they are? That's not a good reason to buy footballers for me. And uh, yeah, get the Glazers out. Still want them out, obviously. Would love to see them gone. I just want us to have the right owner. I just don't know who that is, but I know who it probably isn't. Is there a right owner? Is the question. Not really. Like they're, they're Not in football. Like, you know, as I just said, we all use Twitter every day. And I said the second biggest owner of Twitter is Saudi Arabia. So people could say to all of us, we're all hypocrites. If we don't like that, you know, we don't like the money flowing from the Middle East, from regimes that we don't agree with. So, you know, it's the state own that. <laughs> the state own Newcastle. But supposedly they don't own Newcastle. So... Yeah, there isn't a right owner like that. But I, I do think that there is a whole big long list of wrong owners. But football has the problem with that, Scott. This is up to the Premier League now, Scott, to protect Manchester United. It's up to the Premier League to have a fit and proper persons test. That means something. Because at the moment, it doesn't mean anything. There is a white paper on its way uh, in the next few weeks, I believe. I can't remember exactly when that is, but... Yeah, obviously, there's a lot of talk around uh, Man City's ownership at the moment, Newcastle's mm-hmm. ownership, uh, Chelsea's ownership, the amount of money that they've been spending. Uh, like you say, Rob, it's on the Premier League, right? To uh, Well, maybe even the government to kind of look into this and make sure that it's run properly. Absolutely. It's on the Premier League. And also, like, again, like, I, I get how Man City fans, there's, there's, again, a whole load of Man City fans that just don't care. You know, they've won these trophies they feel good about the last 10 years. I, I wouldn't take that away from them. But if you now get to a point where that ownership is rebuked because of what they've done, then you lose that, don't you? You do, historically. All those great feelings you had get wiped out if you lose those trophies. That's a problem. I don't want Man United to be put in that position, Scott. I think Man United have big enough revenues 
can look after itself. And if we have an owner that just lets us do that without any debt, Man mm-hmm. United can compete at the very highest level. We can still buy the best. We can still go out there. We might not have as much money as these owners from the Middle East and other parts of the world. And Russia have done it, haven't they? America still does that. They pump money into clubs to kind of show their power. We just need an owner that lets us get on with business because Manchester United is a big enough football club on its own. It does not need a kind of help up that, say, Newcastle do. Newcastle need that. They need that leg up because for 50 years, they've not been able to win a trophy. So Man United, I don't think are in that position. We've said that before. I think we'll stick to that. That's how I kind of feel about it. I just want an owner that lets us run our business properly. Yeah, like you say, uh, if there's anything that we've learned over the last 10 years when United have been throwing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds at things, signing Paul Pogba, signing these massive... I know they had a, a big expense this summer last year, but yeah. the, what gets you to the top of the league? Looking at looking at Arsenal, right? They have a front three at the moment that costs six million quid. <laughs> you know, a front three that costs six million quid. And also, Scott, like the thing is, we've spent as much money in the transfer market as Man City over a period of 10 years. We've spent the same money... So it doesn't show that a, a, a consortium from the Middle East or royal family or whatever you want to call it can actually have more success because of that money. It just means the people that own you, if they're rubbish, like the Glazers and the recruitment is bad, that you're in trouble, aren't you? Say the Glazers have got their recruitment right. Would we now be saying, well, the Glazers are actually good owners? I don't think we would be. We, we, we're against the Glazers and whole because of the debt that they put Man United in. So for me, Scott, this is about the health of my football club. That's how I feel about it. I want to feel good games well, Old Trafford. I don't want to sing owners' names. I'm not interested in ownership that way, like really not. But I also, you know, I don't also want to defend the indefensible just because I want to see my team win a football match every week. Like that's tough. That's a tough gig. We will see uh, how things unfold in the next few weeks. As I mentioned, Friday is the, the deadline to get your one paragraph in uh, and we'll see how it unfolds. But uh, Elon, that... what Elon's going to be? Elon's going to be like... Elon's uh, going to tweet it. Elon's going to say, I'll tweet in 140 characters, but that's okay because now you get 4,000 characters. So I can write seven paragraphs or whatever it is. So Rob's expect... definitely taking advantage of that. Some... I will eventually. I'll have to, won't I? You know, expect them doing a big long thread, but but I don't, I don't agree with that either. I'd rather just keep it as it is. It kind of works as it does. But uh, Elon Musk as owner would be some kind of weird dysfunctional reality TV show, wouldn't it? Like it would be like, oh, my God. Like I, I can't even talk about it. I just feel like. We don't need to yet. We don't need to. Yet. Can you imagine the Twitter Reds? That's what we'd be called. The Twitter Reds um, tweeting our way to success. We'll see. Uh, we'll wrap up here. Uh, you can subscribe wherever you get your pods, Apple, Google, Spotify, etc., and watch us Tuesdays and Fridays on YouTube. So head over to the channel, like, subscribe, join the community with us, leave a comment. Uh, plenty of comments coming in on recent videos, and if we get, if we keep getting loads, we'll keep reading them out. Uh, and follow us on Elon's Twitter as well, <laughs> at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, at Promise and MU for the show as well. Uh, you know, and a top play. fifty podcast awesome. on Apple. We should yeah, talk about we should just end with that. It. Get us to the top of the list. Top 50 on Apple now for all football podcasts in the UK. So thank you for that, for everyone who's listening to us on Apple. I know we always plug the YouTube side of it, but I know a lot of people love to listen to our podcast, you know, on their earphones there when they're going to work on their on their Apple devices. Um, maybe we'll be the Apple Old Trafford one day. Who knows that? Maybe 
maybe they want to come in with a bid. That might be a thing in the next week or two. So, uh, so, but just thanks to everyone that kind of listens to the show on those formats. Yes, indeed. We'll be back with another one on Friday after United play Barcelona at Spotify Camp Noon. <laughs> uh, thanks, Rob. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you soon for another Promised Land. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.